This episode is in partnership with Authority Magazine. Authority Magazine, a medium publication, is devoted to sharing in-depth and interesting interviews featuring people who are authorities in business, pop culture, wellness, social impact, and tech. Stress and anxiety in the workplace is not a rarity for many people. It is day to day. Today, we're going to meet someone who tackles it head on. Ben Schick has been working to create meaningful change for individuals, families, teams, and organizations for decades. And much of his workplace focus is based on the interactions between the genders. Ben, welcome to Believe in People. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Such a pleasure. And uh, first of all, I just want to say that I'm grateful to Jane Sibbett because she introduced us. So I'm she's a huge fan of yours. So I want to do a quick shout out to Jane. So thank you. I take I take that. Well, uh, she's I'm a big fan of hers as well. She's amazing. I know. And uh, a quick question for you. Well, not quick, but a question for you. Um, where did your interest or maybe if, I don't know if it was a fascination in human behavior come from? Oh, that's a, okay, let's see. The short answer that would be uh, probably like a lot of people in early childhood, I had I had to learn to read the room and read the family uh, for things to go well. Um, that showed up later, a little bit later in, um, in my education. I, I've, I've got my bachelor's in anthropology at UCLA. And when I got out of uh, uh, UCLA, I was like, hey, how can I apply this? And I realized at the time the PhD track was going to be a difficult for me and my and uh, my body and race and class to, to you know, walk that. Uh, so I got my master's in organizational development. So I've just been interested in people, how they operate, how they communicate, how they get things done, because um you know, our nervous system, our operating system uh, has some big holes and is rather complex. Hmm. Now, um, you work uh, with uh, big companies, you work with advertising executives, uh, uh, you work with the media. My question is, the room that you are reading, the room that we have to all read, how has that room changed from the days of, say, Don Draper, uh, <laughs> advertising world, to today, where... Um, things seem to be a, l- a little more confusing. Oh my goodness. Uh, okay. Big question. We only have 25 minutes. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, just the nature of how work gets done uh, in organizations, right? They're cross matrix, they're cross functional, just how people work across departments has completely shifted. So the skills that you have to have, your ability to track multiple projects, to influence people often when you don't always have the authority has really shifted. And then also just the speed and quantity of work that we do has increased. We work more, we work in a much more intense pace and technology has really accelerated that. So it's uh, we really live in a different world than we did in the 50s and 60s. And we also live in a world that's much more diverse. I mean, all the senior executives back then were, were men, were white men. And it's still predominantly that way today, but it's changed a lot. And actually to that point, Ben, you know, um, we don't talk a lot about men and their anxieties, interestingly enough, and particularly in the workplace. So, and why not? And, and then, and what, mm. what can they do to identify and reduce anxiety? No, that's kind of a 
two-part question here, but. Yeah, um, sure. I mean, uh, I, I mean, anxiety and stress is just part of our culture now. And there's not, uh, whether it's a man or a woman, there's no one that I'm co coaching that doesn't come to the conversation already acknowledging some level of anxiety and stress. Uh, I mean, the, you know, high performers are all working in an environment where they have more meetings and more things to do than they have time for. So everyone's coming in overwhelmed and constrained. And then the question they normally come in with is, that stress is showing up in my life in a particular way. So I first have to listen to, well, it's showing up in that when I talk to a senior executive, I get nervous or I have to present and I get nervous or it's showing up that I'm great at work. But when I come home, I'm really crappy to my partner and my mood tanks, right? Or, or I just have this constant feeling of just burnout all the time and I can never feel myself. There's lots of ways that it shows up. So normally what I do is I start with what's the immediate problem they want to solve. And then generally we open up to a bigger look at how do they actually gain some balance back in their life and, and reduce their anxiety. Well, interestingly enough, in today's world, the one that you just referred to a minute ago, you know, the, the, the actual reading the room, the face-to-face -face time, the interaction, the human interaction seems to be diminished, way diminished uh, with with the advent of things like Zoom, which we're using right now. People yeah. don't interact. Are we a bunch of, are we turning into a bunch of robots and the humanness in us is being squished out? Yeah, I don't know about robots, but certainly a, a lot of humanness and authenticity is being squeezed out and people know it, right? I, I just think job satisfaction, um, uh, is is just decreasing with folks. Um, yeah, we come up with this quiet quitting phrases, things yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, what happens is, is that when you have, so for instance, I'm working in a Fortune 10 company right now, one of the most successful companies in the world. These people have won the lottery as far as their jobs. And they have these 30 minute back-to-back -back meetings every day. And these 30 minute meetings should really be 90 minute meetings. So there's no time, even in the first five minutes, to just go, how are you, right? So one of the things that I teach is that we have different types of relationships. I mean, different types of conversations. And so one, you know, when you come into a meeting, you want to have a conversation called relationship. How are you? How are you doing? Here's how I'm doing, right? Yeah. Because if we're actually connected to each other, we'll actually feel safe and we'll belong to each other, right? There's belonging that happens. And here's what we know about the human, the homo sapiens in our nervous system. When we feel safe and we feel dignified and we belong, we calm down. What happens when we calm down? Well, we get more creative and more innovative. And these companies are hungry for competition, which requires more innovation, more creativity. Well, if your people are stressed and they don't feel safe, you're actually doing the things that actually reduces creativity and innovation. So when you're rushing through a meeting and people are talking over each other and they're frustrated with each other, no one wants to speak up and really have a deep exchange of ideas. So I spend a lot of time going, how do we solve that you want creativity and innovation, which requires trust, but you're not doing anything to settle the people who exist in human bodies to actually feel safe and belong and feel dignified. So we're, we're just, I'm always playing with that edge. Now, what gets to be fun is if I'm with a senior director or a VP who, who's running a team, they have some power to actually say how their meetings are going to go. 
And then it becomes fun because they start to see the value of it, not just for their people, but for themselves. And that's just part of the fun of what I do is when someone really changes a team meeting and suddenly that team's, their job satisfaction goes up and their performance goes way up, right? And they're rocking. And then other teams are like, well, what are they doing? We want to do what they're doing. And then it starts to spread. But sometimes I'm coaching somebody who they have somebody above them who doesn't create that safe environment. And then I have to teach them, well, you've got to find ways to regulate yourself make boundaries, and then see what you can do to manage up so your manager will actually shift how they're running something, right? Because you can't use the moral case. You just can't say, well, it's 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 really morally correct to like have people feel good and safe. You have to give the business case. And the business case is you lose creativity and innovation when people don't feel safe. Yeah. And it takes time. It takes so much time to make that happen. And people are impatient. And then you know, and then there's that frustration. Um, ben, can everyone be a leader? I I, I want to say yes. Um, you know, one of my mentors, Richard Strozzi Heckler, uh, has worked with every type of leader just about in the world. And, you know, he's 80 years old now. And um, uh, I mean, he's just seen it all. And, and, and from witnessing him and his understanding and from my own work, it's really a practice. It's not their station in life, your class, your ethnicity, your sexual orientation. Anybody, anybody can learn to be a good leader if they're willing to practice. Yeah, it's learned. It's learned. Yeah. I want to take you back and, and ask you, when you say people want to feel safe, what do you mean by that in uh, in terms of the workplace? What do I mean by that? Uh so, um, it, you know, in neuroscience, we call it a conditioned tendency, right? So when, as, as, as we're growing up, we have three basic needs of safety, dignity, and belonging, and we're trying to get those needs met. And we look at the people around us in our families and our communities, and we model how they do it. Now, if you grow up in certain situations where it doesn't always feel safe, you take on certain behaviors to manage that, right? And you all know what it is moving towards, I'm either going to appease and accommodate, right? I'm appeasing and accommodating to make it safe or to belong, or I'm controlling and combative, right? Or I withdraw either physically or I disassociate in some ways. And we all have these survival strategies to get us through the early years of our life, which, you know, God bless, they're well-earned. But then we get into the work environment, we get on teams and those behaviors don't really serve us, right? Like you and everybody we know, we have behaviors that we've had from the past, right? Condition tendencies that don't work in all circumstances now. So we have to be able to make different moves. And part of the work is getting people to realize that they have a condition tendency. And then for them to feel themselves enough, what we call interoception, right? How to actually know what's happening inside of you. So when it arises, right? You can actually recenter yourself and make a different choice. So for instance, coach somebody on Monday, uh, one of the best product developers in the world, amazing at what he does, manages his people really well. And still when he comes home, he kind of drops down, falls apart and is in his own words, shitty to his wife, right? She just gets the edge. And he's asking, he's like, when somebody does that at work, I'm able to compose myself. But when it happens at home, I can't compose myself and I'm behaving and saying things in a way that I feel ashamed of and I want to change. So what I have to do is 
help him understand what's happening in his system. So A, when he gets home, he can actually do something to build resilience and center himself before he ever interacts with his wife, right? Like we're going to set something up that he basically, when he comes home, he has to be alone for 15 minutes before he interacts with anybody. So he can pull himself together. But that also for him to see that when that mood arises, right? Like when the, you know, we all like, we say the thing we did, we wished we didn't say, and there's ways to actually identify it before it comes out of our mouth. And there's a number of techniques that I use. I mean, there's just different levels of technique depending on where someone's consciousness is and what they can work with. And, and, I share. and Ben, you talked about actually Strozzi Institute. Wasn't that, and I, you, were, uh, you're, you were a big piece of that, part of that, and I think you still are. That's, was that part of the somatic teachings? And what is that? Right. Uh, so Strozzi Institute is an institute that teaches leadership, um, uh, coaching, uh, uh, trauma and resilience work, basically transformational work using a somatic methodology. And what soma means is the whole integrated body, right? So it's basically learning through the body. But from everything we're learning from neuroscience, it should just be called how we're learning because we're feeling animals that think. We're not thinking animals that feel. Right. So learning through the body, we have found is just a much faster way to change behavior huh. and obtain new skills and generate more aliveness. I can get more done in somatics faster than I can in almost any methodology I've used. Like how? Again, learning through, huh? We're feeling feeling beings that think, not thinking beings that feel. That's what you said. That's right. So what what neuroscience, right? Neuroscience, one of our gods, right? Science. You know, since MRI, MRI technology improved in the 1990s, what we've been learning is, is that how we process feelings is much faster than our executive functioning. So what that means is, is that, for instance, I'm, I have a client now, they wake up really anxious in the morning. They wake up anxious and then their thoughts start to spin about all the things that are going wrong and could go wrong in the past, in the future. And what they're doing is they're focusing on the content of what they're thinking about as if that's what's generating the anxiety. But when we just dig a little deeper, this person's been waking up anxious since they were 12 years old when bad, bad things were happening in their family and they got really anxious and they've been pretty much anxious. So they are a body shaped or trained to be anxious. And then we have a brain, which is an identification meaning machine and our brain is always looking to create meaning, right? It's always looking to make sense of the world. So if you wake up anxious, the brain is going to go to whatever content it has available to it to put a story to what's happening to the body. And so what I teach my clients is, is deal with the anxiety you're feeling and let's de-stress your body rather than the content. Because if you spin on, how many times have you woken up at 3.30 in the morning and you just spin for an hour? And what I do is I have them go, don't go into the content, notice the sensations in your body. And if you notice the sensations in your body, you can drain them out of your body and then the content disappears, right? How so, do you do that, Ben? How, so you start, you're saying you start with your body first? Start with the body first. So we have five senses to sense the external world, right? We have hearing, taste, eyesight, touch. But we also have sensors inside the body, which neuroscience called interoception. 
So that tells you whether you're sad, you're hungry, you're tired, right? And what happens is, is most of us, especially in our culture where we're sitting in front of our computers and our and all of our energy is up here and we're not eating right and we're numbing out, we actually lose touch with what's happening in this entire body. And we get a lot more information by paying attention to the entire body than just what our thoughts are. Thoughts are important, but there's all this other information going on. And most of us operate from here up. And so what we teach people to do is to really start to feel what's happening. They get a lot more information. They're able to identify what they actually need. Like, oh my God, I haven't eaten all day. I mean, I, got, I, have, I have some folks that don't eat all day and I get them into their bodies and they realize by 11 o'clock in the morning, well, if I eat something, guess what? I'm not a jerk in the next meeting. Or guess what? At three o'clock, I don't completely crash and then stress out that I didn't get my work done. So it's just a way for having people to get all the information about who they are and what they need and to be able to slow down. And you know, the old phrase to, you got to slow down in order to speed up. Mm -hmm. that's, how, that's how I look at somatics. Hmm. When we really feel ourselves, when we get grounded, we can see out here much better. We can see in here much better. And we can make really clear choices rather than being hamsters on a wheel, which a lot of us are. How about in terms of our society? Um, if you were, I mean, I spent my entire life in the media. Um, in terms of our society, I am finding, for example, that Everything seems to be supercharged in order to make us more anxious. You need to buy this. You need to be afraid of this. Watch out. Yeah. Uh, tonight, I mean, which is a phrase that's happening on the news all the time that right. I really don't like. Tonight. To, right. And it's right now. It's If you fear missing out, all these things, I mean, in terms of, of consumerism, we're being bombarded with all this shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you've had a front seat to it for your whole career. I mean, we have this thing called capitalism, <laughs> which has an economic model. And, you know, there's regulated, uh, deregulate, there's, you know, whatever. But it's clickbait. We have a world that runs on clickbait. That's really it. And we're not managing how that clickbait you know, it's so interesting, like. So it's like a dopamine hit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, just people are on dopamine. They're taking their hits, whether it's social, porn, whatever, or, you know, horror movies or just addicted to the news. Gambling. What it does, you know, so some of the fundamental aspects of, of anxiety is our eyes get tight. Our jaws get locked, right? The jaws designed to have space between the teeth, but people lock their jaw your shoulders are up and our breath, even though our diaphragm is large, our breath is designed to be low in the body. But when your breath is up here and all this is up, it jacks up your cortisol and then you're leaning forward. So the things I teach my clients to do in the moment, and there's a much broader plan that I give them, but in the moment is soften your eyes, put some space between your teeth, drop your shoulders, let your belly go low in the belly, uh, you know, but let your breath go low in the belly and then feel your back against the chair, like go back and down 
And it's just harder to be anxious when you're in this position. And then the next thing I do is I teach them to do what's called a, a, a physiological sigh, which is a breath technique that's completely grounded in science. And as a matter of fact, uh, Andrew Huberman from the Huberman Lab podcast does a, I mean, his science behind this is fantastic. And basically it's to go uh, is two quick breaths in the nose and a long breath out, right? And go, which automatically sends a signal to the brain to slow the heart rate down. So between those things, I help my clients basically deal with the moment. Now, that's kind of a last resort, right? When you, you're walking into something, you're like, oh, I'm screwed. What am I going to do about it? That's something immediate you can do. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've been interviewed on a podcast before. So I did a couple of those just before I jumped on with you all. Um, and then, you know, I, I, we start with that. So they feel like they have a tool in the moment that's going to help them. And it does. But then I back up. It's like, well, how are you waking up in the morning? Do you need to do some breath work in the morning? You know, how do you start building your resilience, right? There's clickbait and there's dopamine. And then there's actual real resilience, life-affirming things that you can do. And it's different. Artwork, go out in nature, at, you know, recreation, things like that. Like, because you know, they're always like, oh, I used to ride my bike, but I don't anymore. Or I used to play tennis. So get people back to resilience building activities. And then, of course, then you go back to the basics, which no matter what, if you're not eating right, and you're not exercising and you're not sleeping well, those three are the foundational elements that if you're not doing those, you're just, you're, you know, you don't have yeah. a foundation to really stand on. It's, it's and so, so true. I, we unpack all that. And Ben, before we sort of, I know, wow, time is flying before Kevin asks our question that we ask every week. I wanted to find out, are you, were you an anxious kid? Hyper anxious. Um, I was a borderline agoraphobic. Uh, through my 20s, um, I used to have anxiety attacks, going to the grocery store, going to gas stations. So, I mean, I think that one of the things that makes me a good coach is I've had to use all these tools myself, you know, tempted suicide. I mean, I, I, I you know, drug addiction. I mean, I, I was not on a good path and I had to pull myself up and recreate my life. Wow. So I've, you know, I never ask a client to do something that <clears throat> I haven't done myself. So I know what these tools work and I know what they look like. And then I've also run, you know, five companies, six companies over 20 years. So I've been in their shoes. I've used the tools, you know. Ben, where did you seek really your help? Where did you get your help from? Oh, so, you know, uh, I mean, we're talking, you know, we're talking a long time ago. So it was a different, it was a different time. I got a lot of help from 12 step. I did uh, holotropic breath work, Kundalini meditation. I did some yoga. I certainly did some workshops uh, that really helped me um, look at trauma. You know, look, a lot of people have trauma and I'm, you know, um, I know that word gets thrown around, but trauma is real and, uh, and people need to work with people who are specialists in trauma. So I did all those things. Um, and then I, you know, I got involved in men's work and I've been in a men's community for 30 years, which is a great place for support. You know, going to therapy once a week is great, but if, if you've been struggling, um, you need day-to-day -day support. You need fellowship. You need a program, 
right? You need commitment. It takes a lot. Yeah. It takes a lot to change your your soma. I do. I am allowed to ask last question this week, which is great. But before I ask it, I want you know there was a time in my life where all of these things that you've described were considered the badge of courage. You could take it. Don't turn an assignment down. Live on black coffee and cigarettes. Uh, be the tough guy. If you if you show any emotions, that's a sign of weakness. It's actually the opposite. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, our country has a strong ethic around individualism, and there's some parts of it that are really positive, and then there's just a big shadow side to it. You know, um, yeah, there's just a big shadow side to it. It's not healthy. It's not healthy to shut down. I mean, there's, you know, the evidence is in. If you're going to live that way, it's going to kill you. It's going to alienate the people around you. And and I just want to say from a business perspective, it's crappy leadership. Uh, you know, I'm just saying I work with some of the most innovative, interesting companies in the world, and uh, they are they are not doing that. Now, sometimes they do that because they're caught on the cycle of short-term shareholder value and blah, 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 right? So sometimes they fall into it because it's a habit, but it's actually not what creates results. So well, it's, heard- it's, it's the tension that we're in. We have a country with a legacy of individualism, capitalism that pushes, you know, dollar, 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 clickbait, clickbait. And on the other hand, to compete, you actually have to be doing the opposite of that. If you want to compete and have a high-performance work team, you want them not to be involved in clickbait. <laughs> you want them to feeling safe and good and creative in their bodies. It's 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 the biggest challenge of our time, I think. I, I would agree. And despite that challenge, why do you still believe in people? Oh, wow. I didn't know that was your last question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'll Take tell you, here's my honest answer. You know, I, I, I was... Uh, pretty cynical and dark for a long time. And, um, and here's what I found. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know if we're going to solve these problems. I don't know what humanity is going to do, but I found that if I'm of service and I help people and I act as if my life is a lot better. And I, you know, I have to say, I don't know if I'm going to change the culture of some of the companies I'm in, but I love my clients and when I help them, it feels really good. Like when I'm useful, I feel fantastic. And I love seeing other people win. You know, it's, I mean, it, I mean, I hate, that sounds so corny, but I love it. And I love my clients and it's really about love. And you benefit. Oh yeah. You know, you ta- if, if you want to feel grateful, you got to be grateful. If you want to feel love, you, you got to be loving. great. I mean, I mean, everything is practice. We are what we practice and we're always practicing something. So, I mean, like, you know, my trauma profile, I'm not supposed to be alive. And so I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to like be doing what I'm doing. I got a son. I got a family. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm doing great. So, you know, humility, gratitude. That's great, Ben. Yeah. But we're, we're grateful you. for you being here. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. This was fun. Thank you very much. You know, Amy, one of the things that I do is Tai Chi and breathing has a lot to do with that as well. And it's 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 true. Take it, they say take a deep breath. It actually works. 
but I mean, Ben, just the whole soul behind everything that he's he, he's discussing and doing. I, I it's I find it very enriching, despite the world that we live in, the competitive world. Yeah, and he's doing something about it, which is really uh, refreshing. That he's and I and I think that it's interesting when he talked about it starts with the body. It starts the body, and and as you said, uh, breathing, and that makes such a difference in the world. And he's making a difference in the world. And what do you say? To feel better, you have to be better. That's yep. powerful. Yep. So if you've enjoyed this episode, then we encourage you to and you feel subscribe. better. And which? <laughs> if you feel better, listen again next week and you will That's too. right. If you feel better, listen. That's right. Exactly. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>